Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to the show. It's another day and I'm Shira. And I am Ryan. Yes, and I'm so excited because tomorrow on the show... We have a very special interview, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Lizzo is in town. And uh, she's stopping by. Let's go there. And uh, we get to do a one-on-one conversation. And I'm very, very excited. We talk all things Coachella. Because, you know, she was a surprise guest with Harry Styles. How did that happen? We're talking that. We're talking her new tour. We're talking about pressures as a black woman making pop music. We're talking about being an accomplice instead of an ally. We're hitting on prides. Literally, we're talking everything. Stick around for it. It's coming tomorrow. Yeah, and it's on her birthday, too. It's on her birthday. Yes. You know, we're just the place to be. What can I say? And later in the show today, let's move on to today. We've got the the last recap. Of course, the finale just happened of RuPaul Drag Race. And we've got you covered. 4.39 p.m. Pacific, 7.39 p.m. Eastern. Plus, we're getting into the latest round. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Politics. Oh, God. <laughs> We're keeping you updated. The so usual, informed, right? You know. The usual. Exactly. Right now, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour because lots happening. Starting with Missouri. Teachers in a Missouri school district have been instructed to remove LGBTQ inclusive safe space signs and stickers from their classroom. In a community newsletter, uh, this Green Valley Schools, this district that's about 23 miles south of Kansas City, said that the school board decided to remove the signs, saying that they signal students could feel safe approaching them regarding personal LGBTQ questions. And they were provided by the advocacy organization GLSEN, who we love. And they're not just used to be a signal for students to ask LGBTQ questions. They're meant to signal a safe space from bullying. And of course, that teachers are there to support the students of all orientations and gender identities. However, the school district wrote, our goal is for every classroom to be a safe place for all students, not just in classrooms where teachers choose to display a particular sign. I don't think you're getting the point. (laughs) They still say they're committed to providing a safe and inclusive environment where each student feels a sense of belonging. The use of these cards, they're calling them, however, is determined to not be an appropriate step at this time. You know, don't you think this organization has done a ton of research, has been around forever, would know like why don't you ask the students and ask them what they think Honestly, instead of you making a decision there's for only everyone. one thing to say boo right? is literally the only thing we should be saying right now 
Moving on to more Twitter news, of course, everyone keeps talking about this. Uh, Tesla shareholders are reacting to Musk's Twitter acquisition. Shares of Tesla fell as much as 10% yes, uh, today, actually, as investors in the uh, electric car maker began to digest this prospect that Musk is actually using his shares to pay for his acquisition of Twitter to finance the cost of his $44 billion acquisition. He has actually pledged that Tesla shares as collateral against a $12.5 billion loan he's receiving from a group of banks led by Morgan Stanley. Investors are also speculating that Musk may have to sell the shares outright to help come up with that $21 billion in cash. There's a lot going on here. Meanwhile, on the political side, Democrats are already painting a really bad picture of the platform's future with Senator Elizabeth Warren calling the sale, quote, dangerous for our democracy, while Republicans have declared it a victory for free speech and Musk having described himself as a free speech absolutist. Which is he? And finally, VP Kamala Harris has tested positive for COVID-19 through a rapid and PCR test today, according to her office. She received her second booster shot on April 1st, doesn't have any symptoms. And her uh, press secretary, Kristen Allen, said in a statement, she has not been in close contact to the president or first lady due to their respective recent travel schedules. She will follow CDC guidelines and the advice of her physicians. The VP will return to the White House when she tests negative. Well, we're wishing her all the best. That was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. Well, Supernatural alum Misha Collins wants the world to know he doesn't really swing both ways. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. If you even know what I'm talking about, Misha Collins basically, I guess, admitted to being bisexual when he really wasn't. Yeah, so he was at a um, a supernatural a supernatural official convention that was happening, and apparently he's now refuting reports he came out as bisexual over the weekend in New Jersey. He explained the statements he made at the con on Monday that apparently addressed his sexual orientation. So at the festival, the CW star told the crowd this. He basically said, by a show of force, how many of you would consider yourself introverts? How many of you uh, extroverts? How many bisexuals? He then quipped saying, I'm all three. And then, of course, he got wild screams from the react, you know, from the fans and the audience. Well, fast forward to Monday and a lengthy Twitter thread. Collins will clarify that he was indeed straight and apologize for the clumsiness of my language. That's a quote. At a, uh, here's another quote. He said, at a fan convention in New Jersey, uh, when I was talking with the audience, I said that I was all three things, an introvert, extrovert, and bisexual. My clumsy intention was to wave off actually discussing my sexuality, but I badly fumbled that and understand that it was seen as me coming out as bisexual. He said, that was not my intention, so I need to correct the record. I am not bisexual. I have to be straight. I happen to be straight, but I'm also a fierce ally, and the last thing I want to do is falsely co-opt the struggles of the LGBTQIA plus community. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how you do that, but whatever. That is your tea report. We got more coming up next hour. Well, next up, how many GOP politicians can lie at once? The latest text from Marjorie Taylor Greene that reveals she was lying under oath. Will it matter? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, did Marjorie Taylor Greene just commit perjury? There are these newly revealed text messages between then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and congressional Republicans, including Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, that has put a spotlight on the communication between the Trump White House and allies that uh, 
wanted to overturn the results of the 2020 election or at least create some sort of confusion and chaos in the aftermath. Well, there's like so much going on here because I mean, I know, these text I messages martial law, like, please, we let we got to talk about it. Yes. Political commentator Jackie Coppell joins us again. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So let's go back to Friday when she was being questioned, Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? The January 6th committee. Mm-hmm. What did she say that then and what has been revealed? She wasn't. She, she evaded, basically, right? She sort of said uh, she didn't sort of admit involvement um, and, and ultimately really evaded the question, quite frankly. So it wasn't, there was no sort of smoking gun that came out of it, right? She wants to be able to run for re-election. And right now, she could be kept off the ballot. Yeah, I mean, she not only, like, evaded things, but these now leaked, are these now, um, these text messages that have come out has shown that she basically, like, lied. <laughs> Which, it shows a lot of the GOP members lied um, about how they were handling the situation and their initial thoughts. Like, talk to us about the, the, new, the, the new texts that are out, especially with Mark Meadows at one point, you know, talking a lot of crap about Trump. But then, of course, publicly, we see that that is not the case. Well, that's that's been sort of a pattern, right? We've actually seen that sort of throughout Trump's presidency is a lot of people behind the scenes talk a lot of smack, but then publicly, uh, you know, are very vocally supportive. Uh, it's a, a sort of a delicate balance that people have been trying to strike. And this is no different, right? I don't think that this is necessarily different than any pattern that's existed over the past few years. So I think what what people are finding surprising is the folks who are involved, like Meadows, right? People thought uh, perhaps he was a little bit different, a little bit more of a quote-unquote traditional Republican, a little bit less on the Trump train. But, you know, as we're seeing, that's really not necessarily the case. Yeah, Green wanted Meadows to talk to Trump about the possibility of invoking martial law. She testified Mm -hmm. Friday under oath that she couldn't remember, as you said, which means, quote-unquote, there is a loophole, like legally she didn't lie. She couldn't remember uh, if she ever advocated for martial law. Are there any repercussions for this? Or like, is this just going to go, you know, go along with everything else that has happened that no one will be held accountable for? Honestly, it ultimately depends on what, you know, what the ruling is out of out of that case for her. Uh, if If they actually rule that she, you know, basically was part of a seditious act, then yeah, she won't be able to run and she will be out of Congress. So that'll be, um, those will be consequences. But if ultimately, you know, they believe what she said on the stand, which is, I can't remember, it's a little tougher, of course, because I would imagine they'll present <laughs> text messages and communication saying, ah, oh, well, as a matter of fact, let's remind you. Um, yeah, but again, you know, who is the judge? You know, who appointed them? All these things matter. Um, that's why, yeah. you know, people forget. But, but, Elections matter, not just for the person who's in office, but for who people appoint and then, you know, who they remain loyal to. Do you think Republicans should be freaking out ahead of the midterms right now with all of this kind of dropping? Is this a bad look for them? Well, it's not a good look, but um, truth be told, I think people are pretty uh, distracted. They're distracted by inflation. They're distracted by cost of goods. They're distracted by a war in Ukraine. We still have COVID, you know, cases are rising and they say, uh, you know, I think it's three out of four kids, 17 and under have like have had it at some point. You know, there are a lot of other things going on. So I think uh, it remains to be seen the impact. Um, But I think a lot will happen as uh, a lot will depend upon, you know, how much does Trump campaign for folks? How much do um, you know, how much do people care 
come yeah. November. Well, and the crazy thing is, like, Republicans are also so excited, not to, like, switch things, but Republicans are so excited that Elon Musk has bought Twitter that <laughs> yeah. they're thinking that he's going to bring in this wave of freedom of speech and, you know, Trump may come back and all these things. Is that something that you actually see happening? Why, why do you think that Republicans are very excited about this, you know, free speech that Elon Musk is promising in this whole, you know, buying of Twitter? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's it's unclear if Trump is going to rejoin Twitter. I, I read a variety of things. You know, he's come out and said, no, I'm sticking with the platform that I started. But a lot of other folks say he's not going to be able to sort of, uh, you know, walk away from the millions of retweets and quotes that, that he gets from Twitter. So we'll see if he if he reenters. Certainly a lot of Republicans do not want him to. They're not interested in, in the back and forth because they think ultimately it hurts not just his brand, but the Republican brand, you know, at, at large. And they are concerned, actually, that that could really backfire for mm-hmm. the midterms and even the presidential yeah. election in the future. So Republicans on the free speech side, yay, you know, we're not going to be constrained. And that's true of a lot of people who feel that way, Republican or not. Um, but the flip side of that is it could actually um, endanger elections because a town square does have does sometimes have repercussions. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you so much. Yeah, Trump's the guy that makes the party, but also ruins the party. That was political commentator Jackie Coppell. Thanks so much. Thank you. What's coming up next, Ryan? Well, coming up next, we're talking about human rights and the decline that we've seen pre-COVID and post-COVID. And what can we do to help? That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, there's new evidence that some countries continue to use the pandemic as a reason to restrict human rights. And even before the pandemic, we were already going backwards and regressing, unfortunately. And not just in, you know, other countries that maybe you would quote unquote expect that, but everywhere, even here in the U.S. And one of these researchers is Stephen Bagwell, an assistant professor of political science at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, who wrote about this topic for the conversation. Thanks for joining us. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, let's talk about the current state of things. Like, how bad has it gotten? So we've definitely seen a regression since the pandemic started. Uh, The Human Rights Measurement Initiative that I work with uh, has collected and reported data uh, on the changes from 2019 to 2020. Uh, our survey is has recently closed, so we're analyzing the data for 2021 now. We sort of run the survey at the early part of the next year. Um, but data from other sources are also sort of pointing to the direction that things have continued to get worse during the pandemic. Yeah, and I also think it's very important to define like human rights, especially in terms of the research that you did. Sure. So uh, we focus uh, at the Human Rights Measurement Initiative on two broad sets of rights that are found in international law. Uh, The first comes from uh, international law uh, called the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. And really quickly, that's basically the right to not be tortured or the right to not be extrajudicially killed and the right to participate in the government, peacefully assemble, protest, things like that. The other set of rights come from the International Covenant on Economic and Social Rights, excuse me, Um, and that focuses on the right to work, the right to food, the right to education, the right to health care, and a a few others. Um, But broadly, those are the rights that we focus on, and we've seen significant regression uh, during the pandemic on both of those sets. Yeah, you analyzed 39 countries, including Saudi Arabia, Nepal, Mexico, UK, and the U.S., 
an overall decrease in human rights in 2020. And do you think they use then the pandemic as an excuse to continue those horrible actions? Uh, that's that's absolutely the case. Um, if we think about some sort of maybe some things that hit the news that a lot of people would be familiar with. Um, in Hong Kong, for example, they used the pandemic as an excuse to delay elections until they had effectively uh, rounded up anti-government opposition and uh, imprisoned them so that when they rent, had the election, there would be very few people to vote for the opposition party. Um, in the U.S., uh, we know that there were a number of attempts at restricting uh, sort of remote ballot access um, and generally political participation declined as a result of the pandemic and government response to it. Yeah, because we saw just here alone in the country in the height of 2020, there was a racial awakening. So I wonder how we view, uh, how does race kind of play a part in your research when it comes to, to human rights? And are we seeing that across the, the world? Uh, absolutely. Uh, structural racism is something that our survey respondents indicated affected human rights in the U.S., uh, particularly broadly. Uh, it impacted uh, things like food security, uh, affecting the right to food. Um, it uh, affected the right to work uh, and the right to housing. Um, basically, whether or not people could afford to continue to live where they were, we know that uh, from various research, both the, what I've done personally and what other scholars have done, that racial minorities often are discriminated against in housing policy still. Uh, and the pandemic certainly exacerbated that, uh, putting racial minorities, uh, people of color in particular, at more at risk of being evicted. Uh, our respondents indicated we're more likely to be in essential in jobs that were considered essential and essential to be in person at. And so they were more likely to be exposed to COVID-19 because they had to continue to work in person. Uh, and finally, there were a number of respondents who indicated that in the United States, Structural racism uh, played a role in the right to peacefully protest. Uh, this was, I think, especially prominent uh, in the wake of sort of the George Floyd uh, killing and the right. Black Lives Matter protests afterwards. Uh, kind of two things happening at the same time, um, the pandemic and those protests. Uh, which led to heavy-handed government response. So, Stephen, if I'm being quite honest, this feels like a duh moment. I feel like we know a lot of human rights have been, I, I mean, at the helm of, like, not being, I mean, a decline in human rights as we see. I feel like this is just something that we know. But what are we supposed to do with this information, especially when the systems in place don't really help for change? So I'm really glad you brought that up, actually. Um, I, I think that sometimes... You're absolutely right, and it is kind of a, a moment. Um, but I also think that governments are really quick to sort of wave their hands and say, oh, that was an isolated incident. This is something that's systematic and something that is uh, illustrated. This is an illustrative story, not an isolated example. Um, I think it makes it much more difficult for the government, for governments around the world to then say, okay, well, that's an isolated incident. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of, of what uh, we can do with it. And so as sort of res pandemic restrictions get lifted um, or we return to whatever a new normal looks like, uh, if we're not tired of that phrase already, yeah. uh, you know, it's important to, to push for respect for human rights in good times and not rest on our laurels 
and uh, to continue to advocate. That was uh, Stephen Bagwell, Assistant Professor of Political Science at University of Missouri, St. Louis. Check out his article about this on theconversation.com. Thank you again. Thank you all so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, next up, the GOP politician that continues to be in the news, this time for having a loaded gun at the airport. Yep, more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, GOP Representative Madison Cawthorn. He continues to be in the news. I bet you he wished he probably wasn't the center of attention in the ways. He should have never talked about that orgy and drug usage that happens and, in the, the GOP. And then he was caught in lingerie at what seemed just to be like a party. And now... He wasn't caught. Well, pictures were... They were just out, put out there, yeah. They were I mean, put out there. He was just, I mean, for me, I'm like not he was looking a good at, old time. I wasn't looking at that as like this big thing. People, yeah. A lot of people took it and ran with it. I just think he's starting to just be a bit of a GOP star, and so people are just running with clickbait around him. At any rate, this, though, latest headline is questionable for good reason. He was cited for having a loaded gun at the airport. Uh, and has another encounter with law enforcement in North Carolina for carrying a staccato C2. He seems to be just locked and loaded everywhere he's going because, of course, he needs to, quote-unquote, protect himself, right? Last year, he tried to board a flight with a Glock 9mm handgun. I don't even know what these are, the difference, but... It's a regular handgun. But, you know, between the staccato, the Glock, I don't know. And he also faces three traffic citations in his home state. What that doesn't matter. On? It doesn't stop him from continuing is, to do his jo- his quote unquote job. This is who I guess people actually decided to North Carolina actually decided to vote for him and vote him in office, and he doesn't even understand his uh, the own rules of what is going on in his own like state's airport. Like this is wild to me. Um, I I just don't know. Like, why would he be holding a gun, and what would make him think? Oh, it's fine. I'm I'm representative, you know, Madison Cawthorn. I'll be able to do whatever I want. Well, it seems like in one of the instances, he just forgot it in his bag. Why is he having it? <laughs> because he's one of those. That is he's wild. one of those people. You're either in America. Which I know he believes. You're either a movement. gun holder or you're not. I mean, we all know. Or on the other side, you well, like, or you're or you're someone that has a gun at home, yeah. or you're not. Yeah, and my thing is, I don't. It does suck for people who are actual legitimate, like they believe in the Second Amendment. And they are gun gun owners, and they should be conflict like conflated with like the crazy totally. extreme right. You know, it's true. But that said. He is still a bit part of the crazy extreme right. Oh, he is the crazy extreme right. But it doesn't really matter because, you know, his constituents still like him. I guess he represents his people. And that's that. I guess. I don't know. It's just wild that he doesn't understand his own rules and he's an elected official. Like, what are y'all thinking, North Carolina? Get it together. It just seems like a regular person would get in much more trouble for something like this. But just saying. Well, coming up next on the show, we are taking on the salt debate. Is it really bad to have too much salt in your food? Because there's some new answers around this. That and more after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, stick around for more music. It doesn't end there. Coming up right here on Channel Q. Stick around for more music coming up right here on Channel Q. It doesn't end there. Right now we've got some more show. What celeb couple is boasting about drinking blood? Plus, how to get used to not just smartphones, but smart cameras at work. That's in 
10 minutes. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour quickly. A group of residents in Llano County, Texas, is suing county officials for removing books from public libraries because officials disagree with the ideas within them. The residents say the county is violating their First Amendment rights, uh, quote, that public libraries are not places of government indoctrination, according to the lawsuit filed yesterday. And this library has also removed access to 17,000 digital books, some of which are about racism, some of which are considered, I guess, about the LGBTQ community or gender identity orientation. You know the drill. Same story, different place. That was a What's Trending This Hour quickie. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. Well, Megan Fox is spilling on her relationship with Machine Gun Kelly in a new interview with Glamour UK. She looks fabulous on this cover. Um, the actress uh, opened up about how the couple drinks each other's blood, mm. has taken ayahuasca together, and how she believes she manifested him when she was only a sweet, delicate four years old. Okay. <laughs> Love it. She said, uh, when I do it, it's a passage or it, it's a, it's, it is used for a reason. And it is controlled where it's like, let's shed a few drops of blood and tr- each drink it. MGK is much more haphazard and hectic and chaotic where he's willing to cut his chest open with broken glass and be like, take my soul. Hmm. That's a direct quote that she tells, um, which is normally they honor the moment, especially when they got uh, when he popped the question to Megan. They honored that moment with the blood ritual. And of course, they've taken ayahuasca together in Costa Rica. And yeah, she just feels like he's the one. She says uh, he's literally my exact physical type that I've been manifesting since I was four. I'm also four years older than him. So I think I made him. My thoughts and intentions grew wow. him into the person. Not just manifested. That he I made is. you. Who knows what he would have looked like or been like if I if it wasn't for me? That is your team hey, report. She's owning her power. <laughs> That's all we have to say. We got more coming up next hour. Well, next up, what could virtual meetings look like, uh, even if you're back at the office, and what some tech companies are doing to step up to the plate? Next, let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. With everyone back at the office now, at least some of us, are we ready to ditch the virtual meetings for good? Here to share more about smart cameras is Bob O'Donnell, president, founder, and chief analyst at Technalysis Research. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So for context, uh, for those who might not know, what is a smart camera? I think we all know what a smartphone is. Well, so a smart camera is basically a camera like a webcam or other kind of camera um, that has intelligence built into it. Um, and Apple recently talked about this with their studio display monitor that they recently unveiled. It has essentially the equivalent of an iPhone 11 inside of it. Um, we've seen it with other cameras um, from companies like Poly, uh, formerly Polycom, um, which was recently purchased by HP. Uh, and then Microsoft has a new camera add-on uh, for their Surface Hub. That's their huge kind of digital whiteboard uh, device. And they have a new version of the camera that has an AI processor inside it. And that allows it to be smarter about who it focuses on, um, you know, to do real-time panning and zooming within a meeting to try and make the experience better. Because, look, yeah. here's the problem, right? We're, we're all gotten you know, really good at doing Zoom, WebEx, Teams, whatever calls during the pandemic. And as people are going back to the office, 
what they're discovering is not everybody, of course, is going back in. So we're in this classic beginning stage of real hybrid work. where We've got a couple of people uh, on remotely and then several people in the office. And the experience for those who are in the office amongst themselves, of course, is back to, hey, I'm talking to people again. It's all good. The experience for those who are remote, which used to be great when we were all kind of Brady Brunch squares, that worked pretty well, yeah. is terrible when you're looking at six people in a room and there's two people who are remote. And that's the real fundamental problem that people are you know, rapidly discovering as they return to the office. The yeah. concept with the, sm- with I- the smart camera is to help overcome that. Sorry about that. No, 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 you're fine. I, I think for me, I wonder, is this the conversation we should be having instead of maybe we should just be adapting more of the hybrid um, work life into our everyday instead of trying to figure out how to return back to the office, you know, in, in this new way. Let's just continue to implement something that's already working, which is the hybrid way of doing it. Well, and that's fair. The issue is a lot of companies, you know, are asking their, or frankly, not even just asking, telling their employees they need to be back some number of days a week. And that's happening in the tech business. It's happening in in finance. It's happening all over the place. Um, And so companies are trying to figure it out because, you know, the idea with hybrid was, remember, you should be able to mix and match, you know, in-person and remote. When we were all remote, it was all good. But that really wasn't hybrid, to be fair. Hybrid is really that combination. And so what we are trying to figure out is how do you make hybrid work? Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's super hard. Uh, and it's awkward. Um, so that's really kind of the, the challenge that these companies are trying to figure out is how can they make the experience when it is truly hybrid as good as the experience when we were all remote? In other words... For example, in that example of, you know, six people in the conference room and two people remote. Yeah. How do you get all six of those people in the conference room to show up in their own Brady Bunch square so it feels like everybody's remote, ironically? So that's number one. But then there's number two, which is just human nature, which is if I am in a room with six people and there's two others on the call and I have a comment to make to someone that's in the room, Guess what? I'm not going to look at my camera, whatever camera there is. I'm going to turn to the person in the room, which, of course, is going to make what I see and how I say it not visible to somebody on the, you know, watching the camera. Yeah, it's just strange. It's like changing how we behave offline. It is. But my thing is not really because then we see Facebook, they're trying to do their own thing with like the metaverse metaverse and trying to create kind of this new way of life instead of trying to figure out how to, as you put it, put us in the Brady Bunch squares. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you're right. And and the question is figuring this out. The other thing that's been weird, of course, is you've been hearing all these stories of people who are like, okay, fine, I'll come back into the office because the idea is I'm supposed to interact with my colleagues. And a lot of people are eager to do that, right? Two years of being cooped up, they, they're anxious to get back and see people and interact. But what ha- what's happening is because not everybody's coming at the same day or at the same time, they're coming back into the office, then they're sitting on Zoom calls in their cube. Yeah, what's the point? <laughs> like, what's the, exactly, what's the point? Um, and so that's the other is, you know, people are trying to figure out, all right, we, we've got to figure out a way to make this work. And, and there's unfortunately no easy answers. You know, some companies are saying, all right, well, we're going to be three days a week and we need everybody Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
Others, it's like, well, you pick whichever three days you want, but then, you know, you may have to get into what they call hoteling, where you're like, oh, I'm going to reserve a cube, you know, here this day, because that's what's available here the next day. Problem with that is you never know where your other colleagues are, um, and it's super, you know, awkward to find people. And, of course, most companies don't have enough conference rooms for the expected number of, you know, meetings that are going to happen. Totally. Because more people are doing meetings now. And, oh, by the way, they don't have all the conference room equipment. And what they do have might be, a, you know, a five-year-old Skype system that nobody used in the past because it was crappy. And it's still crappy. Well, so it seems like you have a lot of work cut out for you, a lot of business. And we have a lot of work to do on our end. It made me think about a lot. <laughs> that was Bob O'Donnell, president, founder, and chief analyst at Tech Analysis Research. And we have more show coming up. We've all been told that salt is bad for us, right? But is it really some new answers next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, you know, for, we've always heard that salt is bad for us, right? But is that really the case? Here to break it down again, our favorite health expert, Dr. James Simmons. Welcome back to the show. Hello, I'm excited to talk about this because I love me some salt. I know. I'm a more a salty girl than a sweet girl, that's for sure. So why is salt inherently not good for you? When did this all begin? Well, all right. So there's a little bit of a, we got to clarify some things here oh, as to whether yes. or not salt is bad for you, good for you. So it also, I do have to say before we really get into it, it really depends on the person. So individuals can be uh, impacted by salt and more specifically sodium significantly different. So like I am a very, very salt slash sodium sensitive person. So like I will eat three French fries and I will be puffy and bloated and gain five pounds the next day. My husband, on the other hand, will eat 27 French fries and it won't impact him at all, even though we're eating the same meal. So everyone's a little bit different, but I think the key difference here is differentiating between sodium which is just a natural mineral that we need. We probably get way more than enough of it in our regular American diets. And then salt, which is actually sodium chloride. And so depending on whether you're using a table salt or Himalayan salt or garlic salt or whatever, it's about 40% sodium and 60% chloride in your like general table salt. Well, we're probably already getting enough of just the sodium part in our diets. And then we add on, then all of a sudden we have too much sodium. And for people like me and other folks who are salt sensitive, it can really significantly impact our blood pressure, particularly Mm -hmm. over time, like over years and years of too much salt. I guess so. everything you're saying right now is just in moderation. Well, (laughs) uh, are we just taking completely out of our diet? Well, so here's the thing. I think the the bigger issue here is, so if we zoom out from this a little bit, we eat so much processed food, and we eat so much processed food that we don't even realize is processed food, mm-hmm. and that's actually where the majority of our sodium intake comes from. Some of it we need. We really do need some sodium, but the you know CDC estimates that the average American actually consumes about 3,400 milligrams of sodium per day. We only need about 2,000. Maybe 2,300 at the most. But so we're getting like, you know, a third more salt slash sodium than we actually need. And we're getting that from things you might not necessarily think about, like cheese, eggs, chicken, savory snacks, tacos, cold cuts, right? Deli meats, even the ones that are not 
that say uncured and no nitrites added or whatever, they still have some sodium in them. So we're actually getting it from our food in way more quantities than we even need it. So the key takeaway here is you are particularly someone who's salt sensitive. You're worried about your blood pressure. You have a family history of blood pressure, heart disease, things like that. Adding table salt, not really a good idea. Yeah. And um, in this, uh, an analysis published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. They said cutting salt intake reduces the risk of heart attack, stroke, or death in people with normal or elevated blood pressure. So I think it's important. Like, it's not just talking to people that have the history of that and the family history. It's saying that, like, you could put yourself in not such a good place if you're just not aware, no matter where you stand. And also, by the way, for the vegans out there. Oh, I was just about to bring up veganism. Because... I'm not someone else who's vegan told me. I'm not gonna call. I was about to call them out, but I mean, I don't think they would care. Um, you know them. They work at our station. Anyway, they do. Uh, he does. Yes. Who else is uh, a vegan here? Doctor Chris. Oh. I don't think he would care. He's very open about this, but he, um, you know, he he got um, high. I think it's blood pressure or cholesterol. Oh, why one you of tell those. His medical business. I thought she was just gonna say yes. <laughs> Basically, you can have uh, is and is the blood pressure and cholesterol the same? Because if you eat a lot of these sodium heavy vegan um, dishes, uh, it can make it rise. It's as bad as like some of the meat products or salt products out there. So that's why it's important to be plant based. It's so it's true. So so blood pressure and and cholesterol too sort of very, very different things, but they both are things that we look at when we are sort of assessing someone's risk for a heart attack or risk for developing stroke, Mm. things like that, you know, right now and in the future. I will say, I mean, you opened up a huge conversation there, Shira, because, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm eating vegan now. And then they believe that they're inherently being healthy with that. And you you Mm. can be just as unhealthy. You can just have high blood pressure. You can have high cholesterol, all of these other things that we sort of look at that are somewhat important in understanding your risk for a heart attack and stroke if you're vegan. So at the end of the day, it's all about like really understanding the things that you put in your mouth. You can technically put something in your mouth that's vegan, but it's super processed, has tons of sodium. Uh You know, it might even have a bunch of trans fat, like whatever, like all the stuff that is just really not good for us. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, if you cannot look at this thing that you're about to put in your mouth and tell me where it was either walking around on the earth at some point, or if swimming in the ocean, or if, if it grew from something. So like, I always use Flaming Hot Cheetos as an example. Like, I am a Flaming Hot Cheetos person. Yes, I love them. But there is same. a Flaming Hot Cheetos tree, right? Like, I can't go pick Flaming Hot Cheetos off a tree. I don't need to put it in my mouth. If you can pull it off of a plant or identify where it was swimming or walking at some point on the earth, good for you. Oh, well, I know exactly no where stuff. a Hot Cheeto existed before it was made. <laughs> there is no Hot Cheeto tree, Ryan. <laughs> That's what Ryan says about all the people in his life, too. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Before he puts them in his mouth. I don't mouth. even know what that means. Oh, the man. Mm. Oh, goodness. Mm. And the show just took a different It turn. did. First, she's uh, exposing medical history <laughs> and then exposing my sexual history. <laughs> We're going there. Uh-huh. All right. That was Dr. James Simmons <laughs> at Ask the NP is where you can find him on social media. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks, y'all. Well, next up, one guy is revealing how to get promoted as a woman. Should we take him seriously? (laughs) What's next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. When you get a new job, do just enough to not get fired. Don't come in early. Don't take on any extra work. And keep doing that until they expect very little from you. 
After a while, when you're ready, make a sudden drastic change. Start coming in early, take work home, make a really good impression. And inevitably, your boss will ask you why the big change. And you'll tell him that you've discovered you can't have kids. And you've realized you're going to have to get more life satisfaction out of your career. So you're going to try really hard from now on. He will be really impressed, or she. And jobs often discriminate against women who are going to start families anyway. So those two things combined mean they will promote you without you even asking. And then you'll move up the company. And the beauty of this is if you ever decide to have children, it'll look like a medical miracle. And nobody can really get angry at you for that. So they'll all be really happy. I mean, I'm definitely taking his advice. I don't know about you, Ryan. (laughs) I mean, tell us who this is. This is a a TikToker uh, named Alex Byron, host of the Mean Streak podcast. And it's got like over 3 million views. He obviously is... Somewhat joking, but somewhat making a point. Uh, he he's all the way joking. Yes, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think he inevitably has a podcast where he talks about doing the bare minimum uh, and white man secrets. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people just said that this is brilliant. That is so manipulative. I need more tips like this. <laughs> so just food for thought. Well, I see your game. You're starting off with your. Uh... Your 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 treatments now. I see what you're doing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's I just see it. you know. Sorry. Wink wink. Nudge nudge. <laughs> you know. This is my strategy. Obviously. Okay. Well, uh, that was what we found in the uh, the dark. Uh, what's it called? The the basement of TikTok today. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say just like in our our TikTok vault. All right, next up, why Harry Styles felt ashamed after becoming sexually active. He's starting to share a lot about himself. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, we're back. More music coming up right here on Channel Q. Right now, we're getting into some more Let's Go There show. We're bringing you uh, our favorite recap weekly. This is the last one, though, because the finale just happened. Do you know who won? I'm going to wait to not tease it. I don't want to (laughs) tease. What do you mean? I don't want to ruin it for everyone. Everyone who watched. Everyone who watched it. Solid. You know what? Some people might have not. And I don't want to give too who much won? away. Who won? I actually, that's our recap this uh, this last and final one. Shira's going to recap all of the reunion and the finale and, and tell us who won. It's going to last. Get ready for that. For a year it's of It's going to be incredible. I'm very, very excited for this opportunity. I know. To watch Shira I'm so excited for the opportunity, too. You should. Don't don't Google. Are you over there Googling? No. Nope. She's over there cheating. Look at no, her already. It's what's coming up, uh, I mean. So, also, what's coming up? Off. Harry Styles is opening up about shame around being sexually active. So we're going to get more into that in a moment. All right. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Dr. Deborah Burks, who worked for Trump's COVID task force, gave an exclusive interview to ABC News' chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jay Ashton, Jennifer Ashton, sharing about the lack of data during the early days of the pandemic. You were going to say Jennifer Ashton. <laughs> And I come back to find a handful of hospitals and clinics reporting, reporting late, no definitive laboratory diagnoses, and no system that is readily available to meet the needs of this country. And that was, I think, in that moment, I really believed there was a secret database. So when I arrived to the first task force meeting and this single sheet of paper comes out, I'm like... Go to Bob, Bob, press the rest of the data. <laughs> and he said, that's it. Yes. 
one sheet, two sides. I mean, it was a summary, but it was cases and cases from the week before compared to the week now. Um, and maybe in, in certain cities from, the, from day to day, but not at all down to a zip code or a county. Trying to save a little face here. And by the way... <sighs> I uh, mean, her face actually, speaking <laughs> of the face, her face looks great. She looks actually really good. Very her relaxed. hair is laid. Yes. Like, her outfit is cute. But honestly, she's still a dummy who let all of this go. She also shared how she became paralyzed when Trump raised the possibility of injecting disinfectant into people to treat the virus. Yeah, but she didn't become paralyzed when all those people were dying. Huh? Well, moving on, actually connected to this story, ivermectin. You know, that's what people have been taking, the anti-parasitic drug. A clinical trial conducted by a partnership between academics and clinicians in Brazil and Canada found that ivermectin does not reduce the risk of hospitalization for patients with COVID-19. The peer-reviewed study also showed the treatment did not help with various other health measures relating to the virus, such as viral clearance after a week, speed of recovery, or risk of death. It's really interesting when you talk about correlation versus causation, because a lot of times you naturally could be just recovering, but you take it and then you think it's because of the ivermectin, and you might have already recovered in that way anyway. Does that make sense? Is that the horse pill? Uh, Yes, the anti-parasite thing. Yeah. The horse pill. Yeah, (laughs) a.k.a. And finally, the Russian government is fining Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for refusing to remove LGBTQ content that violates the country's 2013 law against so-called gay propaganda. So today, the Moscow court ordered Meta, Facebook and Instagram's parent company, to pay a fine of 4 million rubles. 53,000 or so dollars. The court also ordered TikTok to pay a fine of 2 million rubles. That's around $26,000. And uh, the court's decision is also immediately connected to Russia's attempts to discredit the social media outlets for exposing Russia's war crimes during its continued invasion of Ukraine. Um, They also actually tried to, or they have been shutting down a lot of LGBTQ organizations, including one called Sphere, that they're saying are just like going against, uh, obviously, the government. And so they're doing legal actions, which is really unfortunate for the work they're doing there for those in need right now. At any rate, uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, Harry Styles is uh, sharing a little bit more about who he is. And honestly, he's uh, talking about how his sexuality used to stress him out. Mm. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So, yeah, you know, Harry wasn't always a sex symbol. He's opening up about feeling very secretive about his sex life and even feeling ashamed about his experiences. Oh, he must mm. be into some creaky, like, think, like freaky stuff. Okay. If you think about it, why is he ashamed? Sometimes, like, I've never done that that much freaky stuff, but I could feel ashamed of sometimes how I approach things like what felt good and what didn't. Okay. Sorry, we're getting a bit deep here. Well, for a long time, uh, he says it felt like the only thing that was mine was sex. Oh, Um, He said, I felt so ashamed about it, ashamed at the idea of people even knowing that I was having sex, Mm -hmm. let alone who with. Uh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. You know, he's now dating Olivia Wilde, and they're probably having plenty of sex. Seems like they're very into each other. <laughs> I, say, I think the shame has left the building. Yeah, for sure. At this point, you know, he's tired of talking about his sexuality. He's tired of even, you know, people asking him how he identifies. He feels like 
it is outdated quotes. That's a quote. He doesn't feel like he's, you know, either or. He says, I've been really open with it with friends, but that's my personal experience. It's mine. The whole point of where we should be heading, which is toward accepting everybody and being more open, is that it doesn't matter. And it's not about having to label everything, not having to clarify what boxes you're checking. Mm. Period. I love that. That's your T report. Check my box. Okay. Didn't your box just get a uterus, like something with the uterus? I, you didn't say this second. <laughs> I, I'm actually what? on uh, two weeks of no sex. But speaking <laughs> of which, we're having like a bit of a sex theme here. How this man with nine wives oh, yes. found his sex rotation, his balance in it all. We're talking polyamory. Yeah. Coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, seriously, this story is wild, and I feel like we should talk about it. This guy in Brazil, he made headlines after he married his nine girlfriends. Hmm. Basically, he started talking about how he was struggling to balance the needs of all his partners. So he introduced a sex rota, which is like a sex rotation, I'm assuming. (laughs) It was like a what? That's what they called it. It's create a sex rota. Rota. Yeah. He claimed his wives don't get jealous over intimacy, but gift giving is an issue. One has already left the arrangement because she wanted him all to herself. So, yeah, I guess him and his first wife started off as swingers. And after meeting eight other women, they decided to formalize their union at a Catholic church. Hmm. Although it was not legally binding because polygamy is legally uh, illegal in the country, um, but apparently they're still doing it. They've had ups and downs. One wife divorcing the group. They've also he's also found himself struggling with the sex schedule. So now it's a it's just different. I I just it's for hard me, out there for a poly. Really, mm-hmm. really. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a lot of work, but I mean, I mean I, here's the thing: polyamory for me has always been interesting. I have, like, at one point in time, I was like, hell no. But at another point in time, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that really means. Like, when you have your primaries, what does that look? Is it ethical non-monogamy? Like, or is it, are y'all going in some, like, non-ethical, you know, monogamy type of stuff? And for me, you know, I've, I've had friends who, like, dabbled in the, like polygamy world or polyamory world where they have multiple partners and it is interesting would you ever do it um no no i can barely take care of one relationship or yourself or myself yes exactly and then you add it even if there's a child to that i i'm very what impressed. do children have to do with this i don't know just people that you need to take care of none of them uh, have kids yeah this he's a father of one which is surprising just considering one. how many people he has sex with on a daily basis but yeah for me it just seems like a lot but like i applaud people who can do that and manage it well and in a healthy way it's definitely a skill well he's admitting now that his sex life is better than ever saying it doesn't take long to get attention or affection when you have so many wives but that's the thing See, uh, i yeah, wonder when yes, he's doing that's like, the thing you know like is he him, what would I a think therapist say about it feels that feels like he's doing it off of like something of just like having like a ton of women around him like it's like an ego thing and i feel like that gives a bad like look into like the world of polyamory like that's not fair because there are actual people who genuinely like to explore multiple relationships are not they don't feel like they're tethered just to one being well he and does like, say that be. he likes the mix of different types of sex with different people no but for me it's like the 
I, maybe I'm also judging the, his appearance and then like their appearance because it looks like this is like an episode of The Bachelor. Oh yeah, and they're all falling asleep together like one big happy pajama party. It just feels like a little bit weird, and it's all revolving around him, which feels like a bit of like he's exactly. a bit of an egomania. Exactly, and then I mean, yeah, it's it's like listen again, it's fascinating, and there's no shamer on these things. It's just like I wonder if they're all getting what they want at the same time they might say are you getting what you want fully from like a one-on-one relationship i don't think you ever well, fully maybe that, get and that's, what you want but that's why i've always um i said like i guess later in life that i've been interested in that idea of like if someone had a partner and like it was like a long distance thing and then they have like that's their primary and then like you know we have a situation like I could I totally understand that. It's not like I need to be with that their partner. It's just you have two separate relationships. And that that feels interesting. I would be willing to explore. I don't know if it will necessarily work for me, but I also feel like I'm at a place where you know, I don't want to be so rigid Wait, in my hello. thought process. So let's also talk about the fact, I mean, listen, he knows what he's doing. He has a bunch of followers on Instagram. He yeah, runs an only. He runs an OnlyFans account with his wives because, of course, how else is he going to support and provide for all these uh, women? Assuming, I don't know if, what they're doing if they're uh, working or not, but it's a lot to take care well, of. Well, they they're working if they have the OnlyFans. Yeah, that might be their work. Meaning, like, I don't want to assume that maybe they're taking care of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I don't know if it seems, I don't know. But I, either way, it just, sometimes I feel like this type of situation, and maybe I'm just judging it, but it seems like this type of situation is is rooted in something that is, I feel like the po- polyamory or the, pol- the community that actually partakes in this would look down on this. Uh, it's not, I don't feel like it's a good represent, representative of this. Yeah. But also, would you be jealous I think that definitely I'm the type that likes the, yeah, I like the attention. I like knowing, like, I'm the one. I mean, well, what I if you naturally... were the primary and then they just had other people? Yeah, but then still, I feel like, just like in life, like, you have different chapters in your relationship, I feel like the more you involve other people, like, it opens it up to, like, yeah, different things happening and closeness that happens that's, it, like, it's out of your control, which is something and, I mean, to it's out of your control like, with y'all at. two. I know, but there's an understanding of even if we have moments where we're feeling it or not as much, we're still... And the same thing with polyamory. We have that loyalty and we're committed to each other. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it definitely uh, it messes with your head and your ego. And I think for some people who can handle that, great. Like, I don't think I could handle knowing there's a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I've never tried it, but even... No, I've talked to my partner about, oh, would I, you know, would we have a, th- a threesome or whatever? <laughs> Girl, you can talk about yeah, it. We are, a gro- we are grown We are adults. grown, at, yes, yes, people. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we've talked about it. But then he even said to me, he's like, I don't know. I feel like you, you would think you're into it. And then a minute later, you'd be like, this is over. <laughs> like, well, like can like, I just give him the eyes and I'd I, be done? Um, can I add, is it two women? In him, or is it like two I guys? I think it's in more because uh, that's another thing. See why? See, I feel like that's another thing. Cishet men are so down for like all oh, the yeah. women. Oh, totally. But if you were to bring up, oh well, actually, I want two guys. Would what? you be down I mean, with who that? Who knows if he would? I think he's more used to the other side of it. Of course, that men. seems um, more con- you know consistent and uh, the, more of the situation that's talked about. Yeah, right. Well, um, bring up the other situation. See what he says.
But I don't even know if I'd want that. Is I, it like, too much work? I think it's too much work. <laughs> Let's be clear. It's not, it's not necessarily about it being unhealthy or toxic. It's too much damn work. <laughs> All right. It is a Rue cap. And honey, we missed the Rue cap for the reunion. And we missed the Rue cap for the finale. But wow. we have some time. And Tony Moore is here, our pop culture drag race expert. But before... I bring Tony in. Shira, can you please just recap us on the the reunion? How did what were your thoughts about it? High level thoughts. There was just like a lot of great uh, great winners from the past. It was really great to see everyone together again, even though there's always a lot of drama. And 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 you're saying this is the reunion, huh? Yeah. And there was uh, the, Tony- all the winners were judges. It was amazing to see them all together. Well, clearly Shira did not watch. Um, Tony but didn't Moore, some of the winners come back for the uh, finale? On the finale, they always do. Yeah. Um, That's what I thought. You, okay, got it. Well, uh, Tony, but thanks I, for, I the, for the questions. I'm not the guest. Tony, I hear a little <laughs> bit of an echo. Oh, can, can you hear me? Am I okay? Yeah, is it I, me or is it y'all? I hear is it you me? now. I, yeah, I think it may be you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but it's I, okay. Always, I, I always just sit here patiently and listen to um, Catwalk, and then when I hear my name, I'm like, okay, here we go. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Tony, okay, let's talk the re- reunion really quickly. The reunion yeah. was heated. I mean, the clash of the queens. Let's just start, jump right into the drama. How did you think we saw, uh, you know, Daya and Jasmine handle everything? They got pretty heated. They they really did. I felt like Jasmine just had a lot of unresolved feelings that she needed to take that moment to resolve. Um, and so she just let it out. And we saw a lot of Daya really trying to clarify um, herself and her thoughts and what her mindset was in that moment. And to be honest, you know, I, I think a lot of people did look at Daya as the villain, but quite honestly, Daya wasn't saying anything that the Queens either hadn't said off camera or weren't thinking. And so she was just being very headstrong and being in the game and being like, you know, this is how I feel in that moment, but it didn't warrant, you know, the drag race, you know, fandom coming after her with like threats and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And what I did like was that they all stood up for Daya and said, you know, there was no need for that. Like the fans really came for her and there was no need to do that. She really was just saying what most of us had either talked about or what we were thinking, mm-hmm. but maybe it was just how it was delivered. This fandom is wild. The fandom, the, listen, when I tell you this fandom just ain't got no home training and will say whatever it is is on their mind and don't care. <laughs> so I guess, was it like, was it a surprise? Are we happy about the winner, Willow Pill? You know, I, at the end of the day, I, and I know y'all know for the longest time I was team Bosco, um, but Overall, I, I felt like it was going to come down to Lady Camden and Willow. Mm. And just knowing, you know, how Drag Race, like, plays it out, um, I felt like they were going to choose Lady Camden for one reason and Willow for another. And they basically went uh, with, you know, the person that 
the 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 drag race community and fans really rooted for which was willow so i was happy with the winner i was happy that that willow got to showcase a different form of drag and won because of that yeah well the big change this uh this finale since we're here now um was Mm -hmm. the amount of money that the winners took place the runner-up and the winner talk a little bit about that well for the first time you know the runner-up got a, a cash prize because beforehand, you know, for the past 13 seasons, the runner up was just like, okay, thank you. Bye. Um, but for the first time, uh, they got a cash prize of $50,000 and then the cash prize of a hundred thousand dollars got up to two one fifty. which in my mind, I was like, great, use that 50 K for taxes. And then you really now got a hundred thousand dollars. So <laughs> yeah, literally it, it's really no fault. It's really no false <laughs> advertising. You're going to get a hundred thousand dollars, boo, but this time taxes are paid for. So, okay. That's pretty good. <laughs> what about Michelle Visage, the MC? Well, I mean, it's, it's to be expected with Michelle. Like, Michelle always does a great job, like, being, you know, the the Robin to, to, to Batman, you know, in regards to her and Rue. Um, you know, I thought, you know, as always, she did great. I loved uh, in the finale uh, just that whole moment where uh, she came out and she – but. And she gave and she presented the key to Rue. I, I love that moment. I love just how it was. And it was fun and it was playful and yeah. it was due to their friendship. Yeah. And let's yeah. talk. Uh, I mean, this is a historic season with um, obviously Willow Peel being a trans winner and then Miss Congeniality, mm-hmm. she, uh, the first trans Miss Congeniality that we know of on the show. Mm-hmm. Cornbread. Let's talk about that. How big of a moment is this? I, I think it's it's a huge moment, but what what I what I like for us is just start seeing. Yes, it is important that these are like trans women, but these are just women. You know what I mean? These these are people in oh, our community sure. who who you know um, show showcase themselves and and did it uh, the the best of their ability and like rightfully won both you know i think a lot of people were surprised they were like cornbread like honestly she, i was surprised you know, i was actually yeah. really surprised by it not but saying she wasn't impact. nice but she's she was a fan favorite yeah she but she made such an impact while she was on the show and even when she left her presence you could tell was thoroughly missed, you know, by everyone. It wasn't just like, oh, dang, you know, she's out because of her ankle. It, they People really felt that because I think she had a relationship with, with each and every person, and it was their own special relationship. So I was I was happy for that. I was like, yes, Cornbread, go ahead and get um, get that cash prize, too, for, <laughs> for being congenial. Well, that means we just get to see her next season at the finale and hopefully more because um, I know there was rumors that she was like quitting drag, but hopefully that's not the case. Tony Moore, thank you so much for joining mm. us. We really, really appreciate for our oh, final recap. As always. Oh, always. Oh, this is so sad. Well, uh, th- uh, hopefully we coming back for All Stars uh, starting in May because that mm. is going to be real good. Well, maybe I can yeah. actually get Sheeran to watch. I am down. <laughs> I need to catch up on it. Honestly, I, I like barely caught up on anything. I need to catch up. You know what? At this point, at this point, Shira, just start May 20th with All-Stars. Just, okay, just start it. there can and just move it. forward. Can we do it together? <laughs> like, I need a buddy. No, you don't. You can a do it. A watch party? We can. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We can do that. Thank you so okay. much, Tony Moore, for joining us. We really appreciate you. Thank you, booze. All right, bye. All right. Well, coming up next, uh, this team is getting a lot of attention 
for her OnlyFans. Is that okay? Or is it just plain creepy next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. One Texas teen has gone from TikTok stardom to OnlyFans stardom. That's weird. You know, well, I'll tell you why. Macy Curran, she's a Texas teen. She broke two Guinness World Records for being tall. It oh. seems like people are, you know, oh are really into it on it. OnlyFans. How tall is she? She's six foot ten. Wow. She scored the Guinness title for her legs, which me- measure at about four foot five. Oh my god! So, yeah. Oh my, yeah. That is really interesting. You I'm just thinking even, about it. Like, here's the thing: I can't even think about um, when when I think about how tall she is. Like, it really makes me believe in like there has to have been giants at one point. Like, mid, like because that has to be in your blood to be six ten. Like, you have to grow up historically in, in a family of giants. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wonder how tall her family is. Sometimes, like, there's just something that happens and you get the the lottery ticket. I mean, for her, it seems like she's gotten some fame from it. I, I'm sure it's not always fun, right? She says how well, the world yeah. isn't made yeah. for tall people. Just like... Real? Well... I, I Like, short people say the world's not made for short people. I, well, I wonder what she means by that, like, the world isn't made by tall people. Well, she can't... I mean... Uh, on flights, like any sort of seating, or like if you go to a show, cars. I mean, if you're a tall person, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, that's true. Oh my God, six foot ten. Her right leg measures fifty three inches and slightly shorter than her left leg. She has these pictures. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Her standing wow. next to. Her. I wonder how it is dating. Does she look for someone That's also, as tall she's, as her? Well, she's 19. I mean, she can date. And what is she doing on them? So, she, uh, you know, is is doing well. She, they paid 35 a month for her content, and that nudity isn't promised, which is interesting that that word was, wording was used. So, it's, it's not like you promised. have to have, you have to just be a leg person. Yeah, you're into legs. I mean, I think just like people That's are into hot. feet. She's actually, she's quite gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, she like, she could definitely be... Um, she has a model vibe. Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, Why did you laugh? You're laughing. <laughs> but I think she she also though inspires a lot of not just her OnlyFans uh, subscribers, but young people. She says a five year old girl was growing at a rapid rate, and the child's mom sent her a hand drawn picture that she drew of the two ladies standing side by side. Aww. So it's very inspiring. I think that anytime you feel othered. Sharing your story is uh, so helpful and healing, hopefully, for her and for others as well. So, Are you uh, saying she gets a what? An early yes, Queen. You saw where yes, I was going with this. Queen? Macy Curran. Very cool stuff. <laughs> Just a yes, Queen, for being six foot ten in a, in a five foot eleven society. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Winning. All right. Well, next up, how some top celebs are reacting to Elon buying Twitter. Then more next to Watch Turning This Hour. Welcome back and stick around for more music here on Channel Q. The party continues. Right now, the party continues with some news and more show. We're keeping you updated here. We sure are. We've got some of the craziest celeb reactions to Elon Musk buying Twitter. Plus, Marjorie Taylor Greene's text reveals she was lying to the January 6th committee. Are we surprised? Nope. That's in 30 minutes. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. It is Lesbian Visibility Day. It's been celebrated since 2008. 
in 2022, uh, we've also started Lesbian Visibility Week. It's celebrated this entire week. So we've got a day and the week with events and campaigns taking place around the world. Linda Riley, the publisher of Diva Magazine, has been one of the biggest forces behind the celebration by launching um, the first ever, ever Lesbian Visibility Week in 2020. And if you are interested in finding out more and seeing what events are happening in your area, just go to Lesbian Visibility Week. Com. Yes. Yes. Uh, moving on to some more headlines happening around the world. Well, Tesla shareholders are reacting to Musk's Twitter acquisition as well. Shares of Tesla fell as much as 10% today as investors in the carmaker began to take in the prospect that CEO Elon Musk is using his shares to pay for his acquisition of Twitter and to finance the cost of his $44 billion acquisition. You know, there were actually like banks on board with yeah. like giving him the money. Morgan Stanley. Yeah. Which is wild. It's not surprising, but yeah. No, it is surprising because if, if Elon Musk looked any other way and if he wasn't the richest man in the world, that he would not even be able to get the sign off. Well, of course, that comes with a lot near. of, I mean, Usually, the you know, if you've uh, proven yourself in some areas, you'll just it's, get money in other The system is rigged. Yeah, the rich get richer, as they say. Well, Democrats are already painting a really bad picture of the platform's future. Senator Elizabeth Warren is calling the sale dangerous for our democracy, while Republicans have declared it a victory for free speech. And Musk is describing himself as a free speech absolutist. Now, VP Kamala Harris tested positive for COVID-19 today, according to her office. She did receive her second booster shot on April 1st, doesn't have any symptoms, thankfully. And her press secretary made this statement that she has not been in close contact to the president or the first lady because of their travel schedules. And she will follow CDC guidelines and the advice of her physicians and will not return to the White House until she tests. Yeah, negative. I need people to stop thinking COVID is done. Because it's not. No, it's not. It's it's still going. Someone I know um, that got COVID recently, she's like, it's not the just cold one. It's the bad COVID. She's, you know, there's... <laughs> two diff- is there two different COVIDs? I think it's more like the symptoms are like, oh, it was just a light cold. And then I guess it's like the one I had where it was like, it puts you out. Mm. So, yeah, continue to be careful out there. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. It is time to talk about how celebrities reacted to Elon Musk in the Twitters. Mm. It's time okay. for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So, yeah, you know, some celebrities really were upset. Like Jamila Jamil, friend of the show, she left Twitter completely um, by saying, ah, he got Twitter. I, re- I would like this to be uh, my what lies here as my last tweet. She says, I fear this free speech bid is going to help this hell platform reach its final form of total mm. lawless hate, bigotry and misogyny. Best of luck. Yep, I mean. Um, Ice-T joked about um, that Elon should just shut Twitter down. He said it would kind of be dope if Musk brought Twitter and just shut it off. Uh, and then he <laughs> later added, if getting, if getting off social media would ruin your life, you truly need to recalibrate your priorities. Just saying. Well, um, Scooter Braun, however, said... I mean, he's kind of excited. He said, hi, Elon Musk, with a hand-waving emoji. And Kevin Jonas joked, will we now get the edit tweet option? So, I mean, it seems like... (laughs) Oh, and Marvel star uh, Simu Liu said this, was there nothing better to do with $44 billion? (laughs) 
honestly, um, Amber Ruffin on The View yet, uh, today said, if you have $44 billion and you decide to buy Twitter, you make bad decisions. <laughs> I saw that. That is so true. You make awful decisions, especially when there's, there is, you know, roughly half of that amount that he bought Twitter could have literally probably either put a dent in or ended world hunger. That is Where's true. Where's our priorities? That, there's a lot that you can do. It just seems like he's not there. Maybe he's like, that's in the later stage of my life to help world hunger. We'll keep it going for a few more years. No, that's actually quite gross. Obviously. That's, I mean, I talked about this actually with my boyfriend last night too. He's just like, he's also grossed out by the whole situation. It's really gross. Yeah. And you know, now I guess people are just wondering, well, where do they go now? Well, this- do they stay? Do they go? Uh, Who knows? Yeah, the sad thing I is... I need to see the actual changes that happen. Because it takes... Uh, I think it's going to take like six months before this even happens because all of the logistics of everything. Yeah, it takes a bit of time. There is a transition period. I interviewed someone today um, and they talked about how, you know, for technologists, they're like, oh, he's going to actually do a really good job. You know, I think that people are kind of... This is what's going to happen. A lot of people are complaining and then... It's like, it's unfortunate, just like we complain about Instagram and Facebook, and then a few months later, we're just like on it, and we're like, wow, this is really cool. I like this additional feature and all that. Wait, what did you interview him on for? Yeah, I didn't interview Elon Musk. No, I'm I not. interviewed a reporter that was just talking about how for it would- in, in, um Oh, for Inside Web 3. Thank you. Oh, my God. It's a I'm new show I have her. on our sister station, KNX News. She'll just be missing Sundays it. at 6 a.m. Pacific, at, um, 9 a.m. Eastern. You're waking up. You want to wake Wake up to my my voice mm-hmm. talking about crypto and NFTs. Mm-hmm. It's a place for you. I told you to sell it, not not ruin it. <laughs> so yeah, we were talking about how it's going to impact the crypto universe and um, what will happen to the platform. And actually, people in the tech space, of course, think that Elon possibly will do a good job. But you know, that's putting aside, of course, the fundamentals around the politics and free speech side, which is a huge component to it. And I, I honestly, I just think that's a cop out, but I, I'll, let's see what happens. That's kind of where I'm sitting at the moment because either way, I kind of, I mean, I care, but I kind of know. That's your tea report. We got more. Well, actually check it out on the website. We are channelq.com for all your information. Okay, love it. Well, smart cameras will be growing in popularity at work. What that means for the future of your meetings after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. 